The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode is brought to you by Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can say that I get a lot of value out of them. Merck Research is different from other research, which usually just cherry picks all positive or all negative charts and then falls into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research provides an intellectually consistent approach by going through a consistent set of relevant data and then putting it through a consistent set of frameworks, which is then summarized in a checklist and in a concise written summary. Their monthly economic and market data review provides an excellent overview of the macro landscape. It's all compiled in one place and easy to interpret chart books with written analysis. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer and get a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website merckresearch.com forward slash contrarian. That's Merck spelled M-E-R-K. Or you can log on to MerckResearch.com, sign up for a regular subscription, and enter the code CONTRARIAN at checkout to take advantage of this free offer. Now, on to today's episode. Ryan Wirch, Wirch Capital, thank you so much for joining the CONTRARIAN podcast today. You are on the show because, like almost all of our guests, in fact, all, you have a contrarian view on markets. Now, your view is that what we are seeing here now today, as we record this on December 15th, 2020, the Russell 2000 just hit an all-time high, if I'm not mistaken. And you think this is just the start of a major bull market. We've heard a lot of talk going back to before coronavirus about how this rally, this bull market was kind of long in the tooth and that it, it's, it was closer to the end than the beginning. And there was a lot of speculation back then about what could, what could end it. That all seems like a very long time ago, of course. We are now back on track, vaccines coming online and everything just kind of may, may, may continue, but still there is some hesitation and some talk about people taking gains and, and kind of closing down some of this exposure, reducing some of the exposure. But anyway, why are you so bullish? Well, thanks for the intro. And I was thinking about that. I, I think the opinion that the market is, is gonna go higher, con considering we've just had one of the greatest rallies off of a, 
a bear market low ever is really contrarian, quite frankly. The, the reason we feel this way is we do a lot of analysis versus prior uh, markets, and we're, we're, we're student of history here. So we, we like to go back and do a lot of comparative analysis uh, on current markets versus prior markets. And what we found early, actually, in this cycle, uh, and we wrote a blog about it back in, I believe, April, um, was the, the most the, the similar time period that we could think of uh, from a price pattern standpoint, uh, and some other fundamental factors too, um, was the, the 98 bear market and then subsequent rally into the 2000 um, tech meltdown. So what, what that market did is it sold off about 33% in two and a half months, um, and then V bottomed and rallied right back to new highs uh, within, within about two months. Um, and, and that's been consistent with, with what, what we've had since, since this current sell-off, the, the COVID sell-off or whatever you want to, to call it. We had a, a, a shorter time sell-off from February to March. It was only a little bit over a month, but similar, similar price correction, around 35%. And I don't think anybody thought um, back then the market would would be at new highs within a couple months and, and then exceed them. Mm. Now, I, quite frankly, I didn't think it. Mm. Um, but we did have a roadmap, and that's what we were following. Um, so again, peak to trough. This current this current sell off lasted a little bit over a month, and we were back to, to highs within two and a half months after bottoming. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason we think this can go on a lot higher and further than anyone can really imagine is we believe the market is, is in the secular bull market um, for various reasons. One of the dominant fundamental factors of, of the market over the last probably 10 years, and, and it's been expedited, I mean, by vast measures during this crisis has been the, the monetary easing from, from the federal government. And then on top of that, you couple it with massive amounts of stimulus from, from our federal government. This, this just gives the underpinnings to, to supercharge a potential move higher, much like we had from the 98 to the ultimate 2000 blow off top. Now, you know, we're, we're not, the timing obviously is impossible to get. Um, but we think the secular bull market that really started in 2013 is only seven years into it. So secular bull markets on average last 14 years. Uh, we, we think it could last another seven, maybe longer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I do know, I think, that when this is over, you're going to see just such excessive behavior mm -hmm. uh, and participation that we really haven't seen. The, the, the breadth measures and some of the statistics that we follow are characteristics of the beginning of bull markets and not the end. Doesn't mean that in the short and intermediate term, you can't have corrections. So, you know, again, on average, the market corrects up to 10% once a year, larger correction between 10 and 20% every two and a half years, and then a bigger bear market every five years. We just went through a pretty significant correction which we would deem a bear market, even mm -hmm. though it was short. Mm -hmm. So 
we could have years to run before a bigger significant correction um, takes hold. Yeah, very interesting. Although it's a little frightening to think that people are going to get much more exuberant when you look at things like Tesla and the uh, Wall Street bets crowd and things like that. But, you know, also interesting comparison with 98. I've been thinking about that, and I don't think I've heard anybody else really compare these two, but I remember that well. Um, I was just kind of cutting my teeth back then and uh, freshly out of college. And the, it was, you know, the LTCM crisis in 98 and the implosion of, of well, no, I guess the, the, the Asian currency crisis was the previous year, that was 97. But so you had the you know the Russian um, sovereign debt Ooh, yeah. you know, yeah. defaulted and and but what happened was then with, with the Greenspan they came in and they they kind of bailed out LTCM, but the interest rates were still pretty high from what I recall they were like what were they around five percent? Exactly, not sure, but they were higher and yeah, so th that can lead me into a couple different things. The similarities and the differences between now and then, right? Uh, some of the similarities that we looked at were. Obviously, the 90s were a booming economy uh, right. by all measures. Going into this, we had probably one of the best economies since then. Right. I would say the major difference between now and then was the Fed was raising rates yeah. in the late 90s. And now they obviously were at zero and they've been nothing but pretty much fallen. Rates were actually ticking higher going into that because I think of the economic strength that we were seeing. Um, but since then, obviously, rates have just on to yeah. zero and can yeah. they go negative I, I don't know they probably can because there's there's been a um examples of that around the world mm -hmm. um but another reason why we think this is the beginning and, and we're going to go higher is the amount of pent-up demand that has been created by covid people just haven't left their house um i, I know and i'm sure you talk to people the first thing people want to do is travel mm -hmm. uh, clearly there's been some winners and losers in the in this whole pandemic um, and we can get into that later. Uh, but I, I think the one constant is that going into this, um, the economy was, was booming on all cylinders. And since the pandemic, the savings rate has gone through the roof. Yeah. So consumers are sitting on a pile of cash ready to go when it's all clear. I think it's going to take some time, but why has the market not sold off? And I think it's looking past the vaccine. I think it's looking past COVID. Once life gets back to normal, I think there's going to be such pent up demand that it really could supercharge this market. Mm. And, and this, the, the stocks that haven't participated or have, or have lagged mm. could then start. And you're starting to see that now with the Russell 2000 starting to pick up steam and starting to exert some leadership. Um, so if you get, you know, the banks, oil stocks, if you get these laggers that are actually now starting to participate, I think it's almost, it's not impossible, but I believe it's just going to drag the indices higher because you're going to mm -hmm. get participation in all sectors uh, of the economy. No question. Yeah. Now, to go back to the Fed here, uh, current Chairman Powell said he is not even thinking about, thinking about, thinking about raising rates yeah um at the last the last i heard so that's so he's well away from going anywhere near normalizing rates nevertheless if things really start going gangbusters in 2021 if all this demand comes back 
and everything starts rising like crazy at some point you're looking at inflation and at some point the fed is their their handy one would think is probably going to be forced and they probably are going to have to raise right and then that would once that would then remove some of the punch bowl right gradually and we've seen in the past that they tend to overreact with these things um so what, what do you make of that argument because that's something that we've had i had a guest on here um david hunter and and he makes the point he has a target of 4600 on the s p and he says we're going to have a much yeah like you he says this is going to be a lot a lot more but then, he's, then he says then the fed is going to overreact and that's going to cause the whole thing to fall apart and then he says they're going to overreact on the other side and cause another meltup <laughs> but that's another story but um but yeah so what do you what do you think of that about about the fact that eventually the fed's hand might be forced with by inflation or, or other really frothy markets well what's interesting about now is the fed is completely transparent these days mm-hmm. they weren't like that before maybe i remember do you remember yeah, yeah. where they were trying to figure out his briefcase what he was going to decide the fed has already told you what they are doing so we know that the fed is going to be forced like you said at some point they're going to have to we all know that when is the big mm. if again what's what's what happened in the 90s is the fed raised rates the markets kept going i mean mm. uh greenspan's famous exuberance speech was given i think in 96 yeah markets didn't peak till almost five years later um four and a half probably so it can go a lot further than people expect. Um, and, and I do want to go back to one thing you said about the excessiveness. You know, another something contrary, and I, I think Tesla could go much higher because mm-hmm. I just think it's it's that type of company that is probably a once in a generation type. But there's certainly been excesses in in sectors of, of the market. I mean, new IPOs between... Airbnb, DoorDash, um, AI, uh, mm-hmm. these things had massive pops on IPO days, much much like the late 90s, um, specifically probably 99. Um, the, the, the SPAC uh, exuberance, where you're, you're getting just crazy, insane valuations on um, some, some unknown companies. So there certainly is is that excessiveness um but the participation if you look at a lot of the statistics there's still a lot of cash on the sidelines mm-hmm. there's still been equity outflows now recently there's been inflows um but we've had some historic outflows over the last six months um there's a lot of fund managers that are still positioned in cash and have cash on the sidelines uh and then to top that off you have a fixed income environment where you're getting 90 basis points on a 10 year. So you're almost forcing investors to go up the risk curve and where's the natural place they're gonna go? Equities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the majority of people that have 401ks can't go into private investments um, or, or Bitcoin or gold for that matter. So what are they they're gonna do? I mean, they're probably not gonna be happy um, making a yield of 50 basis points to maybe 150. Uh, so, so they're going to be buying, you know, equities for yield. That's, that's going to be the new 60, 40 portfolio, which mm-hmm. is probably going to look like hundred percent equities. Yeah. Um, so all of that money coming in yeah, and without the pent up demand, again, I, I think that this, this has the recipe for, for a lot bigger move. Now, your your idea of inflation is, is spot on, 
And I think you're starting to see that in, in a pickup of the move in gold and to, to an extent, Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin now is probably just the digital, the new digital gold. Yeah. Um, and and gold recently hit a new high. It's, it's, it's sold off recent, uh, off the, the highs of the most recent move. But Bitcoin is back close to, to knocking on 20,000. Yeah. Um, so, and in an inflationary uh, environment, stocks should do well, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I don't know if I want to own bonds. Yeah. Um, so I think inflation, to, to an extent, there's going to be some asset classes that clearly outperform. And I think that does really well for, for, for a hard currency and, and a Bitcoin. And that, that's probably a whole other discussion. I'm sure you have plenty of guys that are contrarian that know it a lot better than I do. I just look at it from a, from a price perspective. Yeah, um, I actually have a rule not to, not to talk about Bitcoin. On the, <laughs> it's okay to mention it, but I, I yeah. <laughs> Good, because I don't know enough about it. Um, Me either. No. So you know, that's why I, I think equities are going to be the place to be. And, and you know, People are talking about the current excesses. I don't think this is anything. I was around in, in late 99s. Mm. That was, we're, we're far from that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, people are still scared of the equity markets because of what just happened. I mean, I, I know I talk to people and even clients of mine that are saying, should we get out? Is this now the time to get out? You never hear that at the top. Right. At the top, everybody wants to be a buyer. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your grandmother who never has owned a stock wants to own stocks. We are far from that, um, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting points. Ryan Wirtz, thanks so much. So, well, I guess this, this begs the question, where does one go within equities? Is there anything there that you like more than else? You, you touched on some of the hard currency things. Energy has kind of one of these sectors that hasn't really participated yet. Um, it started to, so maybe that's one. I don't know. What do you think? You know, we, we specialize in, in growth. Yeah. Um, and clearly on all metrics, growth has been outperforming value for a significant period, yeah. whether you go three, five, 10 years. And it's only exacerbated in, in the past six months. Um, you had a massive bifurcation in in what what led coming off of the April bottom and it, and growth was the clear winner by a long shot. Now that ratio of growth to value has clearly gotten stretched to the upside. That is excessive, and there's probably going to be a reversion to mean. Doesn't mean growth won't work. It may just mean maybe value starts to pick up a little bit of the slack and work a little bit faster. We prefer to to focus on growth because that's that's again that's our strategy's um, strength. But we are not naive, and, and we follow the trends, and we see the current leadership over the past probably two weeks to a month and a half that value has really picked up a bit in the market, and I think that goes back to uh, fund managers and investors alike are starting to realize that there is this pent up demand and travel and leisure um, and the economy is not going to be at a standstill forever. Uh, I think we're going to have to get through this winter and, it, and psychologically it's probably going to take a little bit longer, 
but I think people see the light at the end of the tunnel where maybe six months ago or three months ago, they didn't. So some of those beaten down sectors certainly are places that are probably going to have the greatest gains. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you mentioned oil, um, travel and leisure still yeah. lines. I mean, people are going to fly again. I don't know if it's, I don't, you know, I had this discussion with somebody the other day. I don't think things are ever going back to the way they used to be. Uh, but that doesn't mean change is, is bad. I just think things are going to do be done differently and it could even be more efficient. Mm. Um, I, I don't think business travel is probably ever going to go back to the extent it was prior to this, but that doesn't mean, you know, more people could be traveling for leisure than they ever have. Um, so I, I think, again, there's going to be winners and losers. And that's part of my job is trying to figure out you know, where they are and where those trends are heading to. Um, but I, I certainly believe the beaten down sectors that, that haven't participated nearly as much as growth are probably an area to look at for sure. Interesting. All right, Ryan Wirch, I want to take a short break and come back and ask you a little bit more about yourself and your firm. But let's uh, first take a short break. If you are a premium subscriber, you do not get the break. So don't touch the dial. We'll, we will be right back. If you are not a premium subscriber and you want to be a premium subscriber, which you very well should, go to contrarian.supercast.tech, T-E-C-H, and sign up. I need to tell you about Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can absolutely recommend them. Uh, their research is different. They do not cherry pick positive or negative charts, nor do they fall into the trap of confirmation bias. They have an intellectually consistent approach. They grew through a consistent set of relevant data, put them through the same consistent set of frameworks, and then summarize the whole thing in a checklist with a concise written summary. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer, which is a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website MerckResearch.com, sign up for one of the subscriptions, and enter the code CONTRARIAN at checkout to take advantage of this limited offer. That's MerckResearch.com, M-E-R. Okay. All right. Welcome back. Uh, second half of the show. This is where we dig in a little bit more with our guest and, and try to get to know him a little better. Uh, Ryan Wirch of Wirch Capital. Uh, so Ryan, tell us about yourself, how you got started investing and how you came now to start your own firm, how old the firm is. And, and you already mentioned that you guys focus more on, on, on growth stocks. We can talk about that later, but first about your background. Sure. Um, I graduated Virginia Tech uh, finance major. Um, so I ended up going into working in family business, which electrical subcontracting, which is the furthest thing from finance. You know, my dad and my brother worked there, wanted me to come work from, did that. I worked for a couple summers there, quickly realized I did not like electrical subcontracting. So another one of my brothers introduced me to a couple brokers, uh, late in 99, uh, at a small boutique broker dealer outside of DC called Nubian Company. And they were just so busy because they were they were trading their own accounts and they had retail and some institutional customers, but they were making so much money individually, they just needed help servicing their clients. So ultimately I, I nagged them long enough that they finally decided to give me a job. Uh, I got a job there, 
late, late 99, got licensed, did that whole thing. The two brokers that hired me ended up leaving the firm shortly after starting their own firm where they were just managing private money, uh, the money that basically they made the, the prior bull market. I ended up working for them for six years, uh, more of a family office type of environment. I ended up trading a proprietary account for them, which kind of gave me the the confidence to go out and start my own hedge fund, which I started in October uh, of 2008. But even to go back a little further, the reason I got into it is when I first started to work for my bosses, I opened up an account at 500 bucks. I saved all the money I had back then. I was living in my parents' house, um, driving an old beat up car. Didn't have much money and I, every paycheck I had, I put money into a savings account. Finally, I opened up a brokerage account and all I do was buying what my bosses told me. I didn't know anything about the market outside of watching maybe CNBC or, or reading an article here or there in the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal. Um, very naive. And back then it was very easy and everything I bought went up. And, you know, of course, green behind the ears, I, I thought that I was going to be a millionaire in no time. And this was very easy. Well, the, the, the tech bubble burst very quickly. And, and my aspirations of becoming a, a instant millionaire quick, quickly subdued. Um, so I essentially lost basically half of my account in, in one day because I was in one position. They, uh, it was Nortel Networks. They released earnings and the stock opened up. I think it was down 40 some percent. Um, luckily, I didn't have a whole lot of money back then, but it was a really good learning and uh, experience for me. And, I, and I, at that point, I realized that I had to get educated and I have to figure this out on my own. I can't rely on other people for advice. And that basically set me off on this whole journey uh, that I'm still on. Mm -hmm. uh, every day is really a learning experience. But that, that experience led me to realize I hated massive losses. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a strategy that I could avoid massive drawdowns. My bosses were very smart, very good investors, but they had... Uh, the ability to sit through massive drawdowns. They specialized in small cap stocks, micro cap stocks that were liquid. Sometimes you had to sit in them because you couldn't get out of them for liquidity reasons. I realized that that wasn't for me. And I truly believe everybody has to trade their own personality. And there's really a million ways to skin a cat in this game. Um, there's really no two traders alike. We all trade similar styles, um, but everyone at, the, at, at their core probably has their own personality in their strategy. And for me, that was avoiding another catastrophic loss. And, and that's when I started my strategy, that's, that was the, the objective and goal of it. And now, you know, started the fund in the teeth of the financial crisis in 08. Uh, we're still around 13 years later. Since then, we've had five disruptions in the market whether you want to call them bear markets, corrections, whatever they are. The financial crisis obviously was a massive one. The flash crash in May of 2010, the European debt crisis of 11, the, the, the tantrum of uh, 18 and, and the COVID pandemic most recently. Each of them market came down around 20, in some cases, 50% corrections. And I have been able to avoid all of those massive down moves 
And, and that's again, what my strategy is, is set to do. Mm. Um, so that's a little bit of kind of history uh, and how I got into this. Um, but I will say, you know, I'm still fairly young in, in, in the investing world, but I've been doing this in the business for a little over 20 years. And really every day is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty uh, of, of the market. It's really the wild, wild west. It's the last frontier. Um, every day is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just when you think you know everything, the market has a really funny way of humbling you and showing mm-hmm. something you never saw. And, mm-hmm. and like we had talked previously, the next crisis is going to be something we have no idea. Much, much like COVID, nobody saw that coming. Yeah. And I think there's going to be underlying reasons why we, we, we have a, a crisis and a lot of it's probably going to have to do with our debt and, and the, the excessive easing. But what triggers that, that crisis uh, will probably be something that's completely new mm-hmm. uh, and different. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's my, my strategy isn't predicated on forecasting that it's predicated on reacting to certain things and, and we're quick to get in or quick to get out. And by doing that, we allow ourselves not to lose a lot of our uh, investing and emotional capital. Mm. And, and that's how we're able to, you know, outperform uh, on the downside for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you've uh, had a, certainly had a good year for your fund. Yeah. Talk, talk to talk to us about that. How you, how you traded around this year. Sure. Well, it first started with missing the February to March correction. I mean, people's portfolios were down 20 to 30, 40% in some cases in a month. Yeah. We didn't lose a penny. In fact, we were at the bottom of the market in, in, uh, in March, we were, we were up for the year by single digits, mid single digits, which, you know, my investors were just tickled pink when, the majority of, of their other portfolios were, like I said, down anywhere from 20 to 40%. And, you know, our motto is win by not losing. So, you know, we, we don't have to make as much on the upside if we don't lose on the downside. And we just wait for those opportunities to present themselves. And this year, better than any other year, we, we just had a perfect opportunity by getting back into the market at a, a pretty reasonable time and because we specialize in growth and growth has been the biggest beneficiary, I think of this, this whole move, uh, we were really able to capitalize and, and outperform drastically. Uh, and it's been a banner year for sure. What caused you to get out though before? Because like you said, nobody's really saw COVID coming. So it's funny. We talk about how the market is now back at highs and, and there's some excessive behavior. We had some excessiveness show up in some of our statistics back in January and February. Remember last year was actually a really good year. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and from the 2018 bottom, the, the market really had a, a mm-hmm. huge rally from the fourth quarter of 18 to the first quarter of 2020. Um, and, and some of those excessiveness started showing up in, in our internal indicators that, that we run. We have a proprietary signal that, that we run on the general market. Um, and, and again, I had no way of forecasting what was coming to happen, but we positioned the portfolio in the event that something did happen. We bought a tremendous amount of protection via puts, and we actually started selling our long positions uh, in late February, raising our cash balances. And and once price broke, we got out instantly, our puts kicked in, uh, and it really protected us beautifully. And And we really sat out the market in cash for 
for probably about two months. We didn't, we'll never buy the bottom, we'll never sell the top. We waited for some some confirmation behavior coming off of the bottom in April. We probably didn't position their portfolio on the long side heavily until May. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is really history. Mm. Cool. I'm curious what come, what some of those signals uh, were that you picked up on that caused you to, was it just taking profits off or, or yeah? Sure. Some of it was definitely that where we had excessive moves in individual positions we owned. You know, our long book is made up of individual growth stocks. Our short okay. book is typically made up of of indices and sector bets. Right. Um, so again, we, we follow probably 25 uh, internal indicators that we follow. That, these are widely known indicators. They're, they're you know, made up of breath and sediment. And, and we definitely started seeing a significant excessive moves in a lot of them that were showing up when we, we talk about prior time periods, we went back and looked the last time these started flashing and it was clearly a warning sign. So it kind of put up our uh, cautionary radar uh, that something could happen. We never know what's going to happen. We don't predict, we react. And it just so happened our timing was really impeccable. Hmm. That's yeah, that, that, that's amazing. Wow. But even there, I mean, there's always, it seems there's always a time in the market when there's like these signals and, 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 you know, moving averages and stuff that, various signs of, of certain things that so for you for you to be able to act on them is, is still pretty compelling um and the fact that you had that and, and as a contrarian of course the hardest thing to do is when everyone else is buying to sell sure. or at least to, to move to cash right sure so, yeah sure i mean at any given time in the market you can find two opposing views you can yeah. find someone that has a bullish view and someone has a bearish view and they're looking at the exact same data. That's right. It's true. Yeah. Um, and again, I never know who is right or what is right. I, all I know is that we stay disciplined to our strategy through thick or thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not always right, but it has served us well in the 13 years that I've run my fund. And the main objective of that is to really miss the down moves. And we've done that. Mm. Um, so I would say, again, I, I'm not a, a fortune teller. I don't have a crystal ball. I do have extreme discipline and I, I'm willing to make decisions based on that. It hmm. doesn't mean that I, I'm a super rigid. I think you always have to adapt, Yeah. but we stay true to our core principles and I think that's the biggest thing. I, th- I think most people that, that fail in this business become undisciplined mm. um, or, or they start chasing the, the latest returns. I've certainly gone through periods of underperformance and it feels awful. There, there's yeah. nothing worse than a drawdown and you start to question everything. And you, you really, it, it forces you to really dig down deep and, and the one thing that's been a constant is is my my persistent work ethic and motivation and, and couple that with just an extreme discipline. I, I think that's what's what's served me well and and my partners well, quite frankly. Very cool. Now, okay, so you're you still like growth now, um, even into 2021. Are there any particular sectors of growth that you can tell us about that you're maybe looking about a little more closely? Sure. And, and I know saying 
I like growth isn't um, extremely contrarian. Well, no, but it um, is now because we've rotated out a bit. So I agree. I, I think because of the outperformance, mm -hmm. people are expecting some other area to perform maybe the next cycle. Mm. I think growth is going to be the place to be because I think technology is going to revel. I think we're in this technological revolution mm. that businesses are becoming so efficient by using technology that it's here to stay. And I think COVID has expedited that by probably five years. Mm. If you go and read various different conference calls from, from different companies. You, you can even see it in the CEO's comments, how they've said, we, we've done stuff in, in the last three months that we didn't think we were gonna do for the last five years. Mm. And that's mm. because companies were forced to adapt to this new normal. And the, and the easiest way for them to adapt was to embrace technology. So whether it's, it's cloud computing or um, I think probably the, the biggest beneficiary of COVID, and I don't think this is going anywhere, is computer security, um, yeah. cloud security specifically. And if you look at the, the US Treasury just got hacked the other mm -hmm. day, um, we cl clearly there's a need for it. Uh, one other area uh, I think is, again, probably going to wildly outperform, and it's, it's done well the last um, handful of years, is biotech. I think mm. that I think we're, we're in another age of innovation that is, is there's going to be so much breakthroughs, whether it's cancer. I mean, the, 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 the vaccine is fascinating how quickly we're able to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I think the, these biotechs and these, these companies are so well capitalized now that the, the next 10 years, I think the, the sky's the limit of, of what's going to be discovered uh, and how healthcare is going to be probably revolutionized mm -hmm. through advancements in science. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think those areas specifically, and you couple that probably with a, a, a hybrid of the two, which would probably be like a telemedicine, mm -hmm. I think... Mm -hmm. These are going to be the areas that I believe are going to outperform, even though they have in the last 10 years. They may not in the last three months, but I think if you take a longer term time horizon, these are the areas that I want to be invested in. And these are the areas that I'm going to focus in mm. uh, most likely. Cool. You didn't mention autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars or anything like that. No, but that's, I mean, everything's going to electrification, I think everything's going to autonomous, whether it's cars or, or, or any other industry. I think robots are going to be a bigger part of our life um, for this foreseeable future, future, whether it's drone technology mm -hmm. or autonomous vehicles. I mean, I think that that addressable market is so big that it, it, it's, I, I clearly believe we're going that way. I don't think it's going to happen as fast as, as some of People that are bullish believe I think it's probably going to be a little bit longer, but I do believe the world we know it probably 10 years from now is going to look drastically different than it is now. I mean, if you think about what happened 10 years ago, I mean, I think Facebook was just invented. Can you imagine? Yeah, a, 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 I mean, I have four kids. They don't know a world without Instagram or Snapchat. I mean, these companies were just invented. Yeah. Technology has gotten so much faster uh, and, and the rate of adoption has gotten so much faster yeah. that I think, again, what what the our universe looks like 10 years from now is going to be drastically different than now. There's going to be a whole section uh, of new innovators that we don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Very cool, Ryan Wirch. Okay, in closing, maybe tell us where you um, we can find out more about you and, and your firm. I know you have a Twitter where you're not very active. Um, <laughs> is it WirchCapital.com? WirchCapital.com is Twitter yeah. handle. Uh, website, www.WirchCapital.com. I write a blog, uh, probably active there, maybe once a month. It has a little bit more in-depth of, of my uh, market views, a little bit more macro top-down. Other than that, I've done some other podcasts, a simple Google search, and, and you'll, you'll find some, some info on myself and my firm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you all again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.